though seen to be true and a factual animal, within our circles at least, the Sasquatch has roamed the North American countryside for centuries, though it can be debated on whether or not it is friendly or it is a foe. Tonight we bring you some cases that definitely side with the foe. You're listening to the Mysterious Brews Podcast, and tonight we bring you the case of The Dark Side of Sasquatch. So, uh, don't know where you young whippersnappers are located, but today in northwest Georgia, it's fall, y'all. Ugg boots and pumpkin spice lattes are everywhere. It was fall this morning. <laughs> it wasn't fall this afternoon. Oh. I, that much. I, I hate the transition of seasons. Like, I hate it when it's cold in the morning, hot in the afternoon. Be one or the other. Yeah, 50, I'm tired of having to wear a coat in the morning and wearing short sleeves in the afternoon. 53, I think, is what it was here this morning. And then I wound up cutting grass about 5 o'clock. And it was nice, but it was still – I still worked me up a little sweat. We are definitely heading towards cooler temperatures. So we've got some new patrons. I just, hope, I just hope we have a good winter, man. I want I want some snow. As a teacher, there's no two – you can't combine two words in the English language that will ever be as sweet as snow day. You're right. You are and, so right. Like, you wake up so early to get up for this job, and then you just see on the internets now, or you get your little Remind 101s or whatever now that we don't have to listen to the radio for it. I know. Or says, try to move the antenna so we can get one in Atlanta stations. Yeah, all all classes canceled for today. No teacher reports. Man, that's the most, it's the greatest day ever. I don't know if we shouted these people out or not, so we're going to shout them out again. Our newest two were Miss Kayla Doss and Marie Welch. But it appears that I may or may not have shouted out Miss Dana Smith and Miss Amy Urban, all of which joined our great, lovely patron, the Bruise Crew, as we say it. But we have 50 patrons. Daggum, man, and I ain't seen a dime. Well, you're going to. I'm going to start mailing you, I'm gonna start mailing you one dime a month. Yeah, that's <laughs> can probably write it off of my taxes, maybe. <laughs> I, I am getting a new mic stand. That's right, man. That thing's going to be sweet. The mic stand that I'm holding in my hand that is approximately three and a half inches long. Right. So that cord beating against that little mic stand is what our listeners hear sometimes. We're getting Coach a mic stand so that he can. Yeah, that thing should be plenty long enough now that I see it. That's what she says. <laughs> 
Not uh, to me, but I'm sure they've said it before to so others. We're going to get Coach and Mike Stan so he can have that thing on the side of his recliner, and that way he doesn't have to worry about breathing heavy, snotting in it. It's just there. Man, I, I, speaking of snotting in it, bro, school – for most most counties started back in August, but the one I work in started back after Labor Day. And boy, oh boy, three-year-olds will get you sick. Quickly. Them pre-Kers, man, they don't mess around. <laughs> they go elbow to wrist with that snot bubble. That's right. All right, so ladies and gentlemen, let's jump into the dark side of Sasquatch here. We are going to start off this tale from Hanabi, Oklahoma. Now, it is spelled H-O-N-O-B-I-A, but it is pronounced Hanabi. And from everything that I could glean about Hanabi, Oklahoma, is give some Okies a bunch of vowels and some consonants mixed in, and they will mispronounce things worse than a South Alabama redneck. I'm proud to be an Okie from Muskogee. A place where even squares can have a ball. It's a great song. It is a great song. If you don't song. know it, look it up. And the other great Oklahoma song is Living on Tulsa Time. All right. So, Hanabi, Oklahoma is loco, loco, located about two hours southwest of Fort Smith, Arkansas. And when I say southwest, I mean more south than west. And about an hour due west of Mena, Arkansas. And you know what happened in Mena. No, well, we haven't covered it yet because we're too damn scared to. But Well, Necronomified went ahead and started their coverage of it this week. So if you're interested, I'm sure them boys are doing a fine job over there. But let's get back to it. We've got Hanabi located at the base of the Kamichi Mountain Range. And when I say remote, I mean BFE remote. Residents, some of whom received electricity for the first time in 1952. It's not that. I mean, come on. Drive 16 miles to the nearest gas station and 20 miles to the nearest ATM. A trip to the grocery store could be anywhere from 55 to 70 miles one way, depending on which way one would travel. Jesus Christ, man. Yeah, it's out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, I would say so. If they drive east on State Highway 144, they are traveling on the last unpaved highway in the state of Oklahoma. Quote, there's only one thing wrong with Hanabi, said Garland Cogburn, a Hanabi resident who lives on Little River. We're just so far from anything. Other than that, this place is perfect. Hanabi sits on the Lafleur Pushmata County line. On one side of the street is Pushmata County, and on the other side is LaFleur County. Hanabi is nestled in the heart of Hanabi Creek Wildlife Management Area, which includes 130,000 acres of commercial timberland thick with cedar, oak, box elder, and pine trees. Wild hogs, bear, deer, and rumored panthers are some of the animals that roam this rugged terrain. The land is owned by two private forest investment companies, the Hancock Natural Resources Group and Renewable Resources LLC, and it is managed by the State Wildlife Conservation Department in a unique partnership. Bigfoot sightings and strange experiences have been reporting in the neighboring towns of Nashoba, Octavia, Ludlow, and Watson. The Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization, or BFRO, 
That one man that's I had that TV show that one time. Yep, yeah, sure did. That there just started right there in that Georgia, and that thing just ran across the road. They called it Finding Bigfoot. They should have called that some bitch looking for Bigfoot because they didn't find shit. <laughs> oh, they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, man. Stop giggling. This is a serious uh, subject. Sorry. Yeah. sorry. So the focus, B- bro. Focus. The BFRO has collected 58 such testimonials in Oklahoma since 1971. 19 of those come from the Comiche Mountain Range, which encompasses vast stretches of timberland in three separate counties. Now, this is where the Humphreys family, and I have heard that this is their true name, and I have also heard that this is a pseudonym name. So take that for what you will. But we're going to go with the Humphreys. The Humphreys family lived in a rustic two-story cabin on 30 acres just outside of Honneby, and the family loved the outdoors and hunting deer especially. They had planted several food plots of Austrian snow peas, which the deer in Oklahoma found irresistible. The family's deer population was thriving, and venison was the protein of choice since it was so plentiful. The Humphreys had an outbuilding-slash-skinning shed that housed several freezers and a place to hang the meat to allow for curing. Life was good for the Humphreys. That is, until January of 2000. Brothers Tim and Mike started noticing that several deer that were hanging to cure in the skinning shed had suddenly disappeared. Where'd they go? They just picked up and moved on off. They didn't want to be skint no more. See, I don't understand, man. Why you got to be skinning deer? Can't you just buy that at a grocery store? (laughs) Well, if you're traveling 50 to 70 miles one way to a grocery store, I'm pretty sure you're looking for other means of protein. (laughs) Just like you in prison. Oh, snap. <laughs> that might get edited out. Uh, I think I will. Uh, I think I'll leave that one in there. But you're killing me, Smalls. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so a couple of days pass, and the family starts noticing what they think is a bear that is coming into the skinning shed and taking the deer. So they set up a trail camera to watch over the door to the shed. And looking back, the family stated that they would always hear whistling, chattering, whoops, and hollers from around the forest but never thought much of, to do. yes but never thought much about it right i mean bears whistle right they whistle and walk on two legs for extended periods of times is what i've been told hmm. that checks out a couple of days pass and when the brothers go out to retrieve some meat from the freezer they are shocked to find that the door to the shed has been ripped off the hinges and every bit of deer meat from the freezers as well as the deer that were hanging to cure are gone like yesterday's news. The Sasquatch began to come up to the house and scratch at the doors and jiggle the doorknobs, tap on the windows, and reportedly bent wrought iron gates to the property all under the cover of darkness. Now, these gates, like I said, were wrought iron, but they were more like cattle gates, so it would take quite an animal, or a machine to bend such gate. Now, Tim's wife stated that parts of the window were torn away and the family would catch a glimpse of something large and hairy every once in a while. And one night they saw a humanoid figure that stood eight feet tall. That's big. Yes, sir. That's bigger than Andre the Giant. Yes, sir. For a little context, y'all. 
The family also would smell a musky urine, burnt hair smell at night as well. I could understand a musky urine, but burnt hair? I mean, are you that bored out in Oklahoma you just set your hair on fire every once in a while? It's an unmistakable smell. It is, but I mean, I mean most people, if you poll our audience, probably don't know what burnt hair smells like. I guarantee you every one of them do because they've all been drunk, they've all been smoking, and they lit their beard on fire. <laughs> Or they've been around an, an idiot that lit their beard on fire. <laughs> that may be true. That may be true. <laughs> so the family also would hear what we refer to as the samurai chatter that was heard in the Sierra sounds. They also would hear trees being thrashed about so that they knew this was not just one Sasquatch. This was a pod or a family group. You know, it'd be a good treat is if we replayed the entirety of those Sierra sounds like we did when we covered it. All 17 minutes of nonsense that pretty much got half our audience to stop listening permanently. I was going to say, and then we had that one follower that was your friend that said that he would never listen to another episode if we did that shit again. <laughs> you can't explain that at a red light. He just can't. Oh. <laughs> uh. Now, the family would report that they could hear up to five to seven different Sasquatch whistling, whooping, and chattering. One family member, which I read was an uncle to both Tim and Mike, contacts the BFRO about the possibility of a Sasquatch or a family of Sasquatch terrorizing his relatives. The uncle sends the following email. Quote, too many incidents to mention here. Please have someone contact us. This is no hoax, and my brother is afraid for his family. This creature is getting bolder every time it returns. This thing is huge, walks upright, smells like a musky urine burn hair type odor. He repeatedly comes back in the early morning hours after midnight and harasses them until just before dawn. It has, on more than one occasion, tried to enter their home. We don't know where to turn. Everyone thinks we are crazy when we mention it. Please, we don't know what to do, but I do know that something needs to be done. There are stories we could tell that would make the hair on your neck stand on end. And that's the end of the email. Now, I did not read the official BFRO report. It is out there. I'm sure if you just Google Hanabi BFRO report, it'll pull up. So you literally chose this topic and then didn't do the proper research. You didn't even look at the report to the BFRO. The reason that I That's did, the first thing I looked at. Well, the, I, okay. That's the only thing I looked at. <laughs> the reason I didn't look at it is because there have been some shade thrown towards the old BFRO about this report. It is said that in the report, they described the Humphreys as uneducated backwoods Okies, which could not be farther from the truth, according to my research. Well, if you follow the BFRO on the Facebook it has been completely taken over by trolls, man. They po they're posting like porno videos on there. And like complete nonsense videos that have nothing like showing people weld or showing like how chains are made and then like random porn clips. It's very strange. It's been going on for about a month now. That is not good. That is not. I mean, the porn's all right, but <laughs> I don't care how chains are made. <laughs> <laughs> so the BFRO tells Tim and his family that they would like to set up some camera traps and some gift items. Tim is like, hell no, you're not. You need to send a hunter. I want these things killed and off my property. He said that the field reps show up with a gentleman that appeared to be in his late 60s. He was introduced to him as, quote, the hunter that Tim had requested. 
Now we get into a he said, he said situation. According to the BFRO, nothing was gleaned from their investigation except a deer carcass. According to Tim, the first evening that the BFRO was there, the Sasquatch whooped, whistled, and chattered, but never approached the house. The second night, the Sasquatch attacked the house just as they had before the hunter and both field reps arrived, and all three gentlemen left the property scared shitless. Tim states that he tried utilizing motion-detecting lights and sound alarms and said that it worked for about a week, but then the harassment became more intense. After a terrible night of banging on the walls, beating on the doors, and scratching the windows, Tim just waits for daylight. And once the sun gets up over the trees, he goes out to see what happened to his motion detectors. He states that all of the motion sensors were turned straight upward. He also discovered after walking around the yard that there were sticks stacked in the yard at just beyond the motion detectors range. He picked up all of the sticks and reset his motion detectors. That night was somewhat peaceful, but he could hear a lot of howls, whistles, and chatter. To say that they were not happy was an understatement, and they were extremely mad that he had figured out how they thwarted his motion-sensing lights. This game of resetting the motion detectors and destroying the stick markers would rock on for about a month. Then out of the blue one night, Tim describes it as a night from hell. None of his family were able to sleep and his children were traumatized. Tim's wife has had enough and she is out the door and took the children and left the property. So Tim decides he's had enough when his wife decides she's not staying at the cabin anymore. So he calls his brother and some friends and the group decides to set a trap for the old Sasquatch clan. That evening, the group hides out on the home's front porch waiting for the Sasquatch to return. They're all armed. Tim is armed with his deer rifle. Most have shotguns, and they are determined that they are putting an end to this harassment that evening. It seems awfully brave. I mean, even though you are armed, I mean, you're going to try to ambush a freaking eight-foot-tall man-beast? I think, and here's why... Count me out. I agree with you, but I think it got to the point where... Seeing your children traumatized and your wife's like, fuck this, I'm not staying anymore, kind of, he was at his wit's end. So, other than burn the damn house down, he decided he'd try to kill him. I'd have burned the house down, I'll be honest with you. That's what insurance is for. True, that is true. As darkness approaches, Tim and his friends can hear the Sasquatch walking the perimeter of the yard just inside the tree line. Soon the whoops and the yelps begin, followed by the whistles. Tim would state that it was after a complete darkness that he could hear something approaching the front of the house. His brother and friends turn on spotlights to see what was out there. It is at this moment that the closest Sasquatch lets out a roar, and I had read it was as close as 70 yards, which is pretty fucking close for an eight-foot hairy beast to be standing there for me. That's about uh, 70 yards too close. As the Sasquatch roars... The other Sasquatch run for the tree line. Tim takes aim and shoots the Sasquatch that had roared and was the closest. He stated that the first shot struck the creature in what he assumed was the shoulder blade. The next shot was lower, and Tim knows it was a lung shot. The lung shot drops the creature to a knee, and Tim states that his final shot hits the creature at the base of the skull. In all this, I mean, and it didn't die. Correct. That's, uh, whoo, buddy. 
Yeah. This is an accurate story. This is 100% true. That's one tough son of a bitch right there. After the final shot, all hell breaks loose with whoops, yells, chatter. Tim and his brother both are on record stating that they could hear the creature expire. Hellbent on showing the world that he was not crazy, his brother gets the truck, he takes the spotlight, they both head towards the creature with lights ablaze. After getting halfway to where the creature is lying, two larger Sasquatch come out and stand in front of the brothers, halfway between the dead Sasquatch and their vehicle, while a third Sasquatch emerges from the woods and picks up the dead Sasquatch in what they described as a fireman's carry. The next morning, Tim went to the spot where the Bigfoot ran and saw blood spattered on trees nine feet high for almost 200 yards. That's where it was carried away by the other two Sasquatch. Now, a logger, unnamed of course, told Tim that he was driving down the road late that evening when he saw two of these creatures carrying a third one across the road. He tells Tim that he turned his truck around six times on the road because he couldn't figure out what the fuck he was seeing. Just like the logger, all of the physical evidence disappeared that night. A heavy rain that morning washed away any traces of blood, and the BFRO investigators supposedly found nothing more than a mutilated deer carcass in the vicinity where the Bigfoot supposedly fell. Yeah, but something had to mutilate it. Correct. It mutilated itself. Now, it has been rumored that the BFRO was contacted by the uncle the night before they killed the Sasquatch and arrive on scene within 16 hours. I had read other reports that state that they had contacted the BFRO way before they decided to kill one. So again, we're into that he said, he said stuff. This seemed to stave off the harassment for several weeks. That is until either Tim's sister or his wife's sister. I could not figure out which one because again, pseudonym, pseudonym names are being used. Is coming onto the property and they have a gate that is close to the road. She opens the gate, drives her vehicle through the gate, and as she is going to close the gate, she states that a large eight to nine foot Sasquatch came out of the woods, whooping and roaring as she is closing the gate. Her daughter sees the Sasquatch and is so scared that she curls up in the fetal position in the back floorboard crying. The sister hops in and hauls ass up the driveway, honking her horn the entire time. Tim comes out, confused as hell, and as the sister screeches to a stop, gravel and dust flying everywhere, she hops out with the daughter wrapped around her neck in a death grip. Both the sister and the daughter are screaming and crying and basically damn near catatonic. So Tim eventually gets the sister and the daughter to calm down, and they describe what had occurred. It's at this moment several Sasquatch attack the house. They are banging on the walls and trying to break the doors down. Tim retrieves his rifle and heads out the back of the house to stop the attack. The sister sees the Sasquatch run from the back of the house in front of the house through a huge window. She describes that the Sasquatch and Tim basically played a game of hide-and-seek running around the house like you would see in a cartoon. Now, another episode would occur that was similar, but this time it was another family member who had stayed the night at the cabin. 
Tim had not experienced any attacks for a couple of days and explains to the family member that there is a chance that something could still happen. Either the family member thought Tim was crazy as shit or he didn't believe something was going to happen. Either way, he decides to take his bed on the couch looking through a very big picture window. Again, Tim grabs his rifle when he starts hearing scratching and banging on the side of the house. As the creature is trying to beat the door down, Tim heads out to take care of the situation. This time, the Sasquatch roars at the window looking into the living room where the family member was lying on the couch. The family member says it had to stoop down to roar in the window and he could see its teeth. No, thank you. Like you said, I'm burning the bitch to the ground. Scorched oh, earth. I mean, after that, it's over, man. I'm just, I'm done. I got a hundred gallons of diesel fuel and a flamethrower. <laughs> yeah, no doubt, man. Seriously. So the ending of the siege was basically Tim and his family. Now, there's been two reports again. This is the he said, he said stuff. One side of the story says that his family is not leaving the property. It's there. So they go out and they destroy all of their food plots that were planted in Austrian snow peas and any other natural deer forage they could find. While it took several months to accomplish, the deer eventually left the property and so did the Sasquatch. Now, another account says that they just left Tim had had enough. His family had had enough. His wife said he, she wasn't bringing the kids back. So he just walks out and leaves the house as is with food in the refrigerator and clothes in drawers. So I don't know. But Hanabi did become, however you want to look at it, famous or infamous after this occurrence. And they have a Bigfoot festival every year. But according to everything that I could read online, the Humphreys have never attended or spoke at the event. Now, this is not the only story from Hanabi that describes very aggressive Sasquatch. Harold Yates, who worked for the Forest Service in 2007, stated that he had his own encounter back in 2002. He was building a log cabin on Little River, which is the main waterway that snakes through the valley that where Hanabi sits. One day, Yates was cutting planks on his saw, listening to the piercing sound of wood colliding with a saw blade. He says that when he heard the saw stop, a few seconds later, something mimicked the saw in pitch and volume. On another occasion, in the still of night, Yates stated that he heard large rocks being slammed into the river below his cabin. The crashing sound continued for 40 minutes and scared his family to death. Quote, I don't know what could have made those sounds. That's the trouble. I don't know anything that can make those noises. I do know a bear can't make those noises. The last thing that I could find that was more than just an unnamed person was Ronnie Hammer told of a time his grandfather came upon a creature while out hunting. His grandfather was so frightened that he shot and killed the creature. Not knowing exactly what he had shot, an animal or a man, he made the decision to bury it in the hills and not mention it to, quote, outsiders. The creature he had killed was so large he had to use a horse to drag it to the burial site. It simply was too heavy for a couple of men to drag, his grandfather would tell him. Ronnie said he remembered the story very vividly but was never told where the burial site was, nor was he supposed to talk about the incident with outsiders. 
and it was not until Ronnie himself was 71 years old that he recounted his grandfather's story. Now, Choctaw Indians are throughout Oklahoma in that area, and Billy Ludlow, which, who is a Choctaw Indian, remembers having an encounter with a Sasquatch when he was a young boy growing up in the area. He told about seeing a creature while he was walking home one day after a church function. He said it scared him and made him sprint towards his house. He said at one point during his run to home, the creature was throwing stones at him. He says a memory that he will never forget. Uh, Yeah, I'd say so. So, Coach, I hear you have a angry Sasquatch possibly somewhere near where we live. Well, this is more, I don't know if, if anger really p- played a part in it, but it's definitely the dark side of Sasquatch because it goes against what a lot of researchers want to tell you about these creatures, that they're, of course, they're elusive, and of course, they're, you know, mysterious and all that, but they're relatively harmless to the human population. Well, this would prove to be not true if this story happened to be factual. So this comes from a witness named David Kay, and this is going to take place in 1985. I was four years old. In the month of September 1985, there's going to be a helicopter crash on the outskirts of Dahlonega, Georgia, which is a beautiful city. If you've ever, if you've never been, you need to visit. I graduated from the beautiful University of North Georgia. That was my alma mater. But this report is going to be. Quite gruesome, to say the least. And this is the story from the witness himself. In 1985, I was assigned as a military policeman to the U.S. Army garrison at Fort McPherson, Georgia. We received an alert for my squad to go and secure the crash site of an AH-1 or Cobra helicopter that belonged to the Texas Army National Guard that crashed in the Chattahoochee Forest north of the ranger camp. We were helicoptered into the ranger camp with our gear, and we boarded a deuce, a two-and-a-half-ton truck, for the ride to the crash site. We made it to within about one-fourth of a mile of the site and had to carry our gear in. We received that the rangers that were, we, this is why I don't do this part. (laughs) This is why I chime in every so often with the, man, that's crazy. Anyway. Surprise, motherfucker. (laughs) we relieved the rangers that were guarding the site the crash occurred about 12 hours earlier and we set up camp our job was to keep people out of the area whether they be curiosity seekers news people etc until the crash investigation team arrived and took over the crash site was small about 100 feet away 100 feet by 30 feet because the cobra crashed in one one piece and then burned the whole area reeked of a fuel smell and the unmistakable burned flesh smell. No. No, sir. We set up camp adjacent to the wreckage about 50 feet away and posted our guard shifts. My squad consisted of five men, Ken R., Rodney T., Sean M., Tim A., and David K. They were all MPs. We finally got to the camp set around, we finally got the camp set around 6 p.m. and the sun was going down. A large fire was built in our perimeter and we had set for four-hour shifts. Myself and SPC Sean N. were on the second shift. We finally racked out about 8 p.m. to get some shut-eye. Around 10 p.m., I woke up to the most god-awful howl-slash-scream you could imagine, and when I looked at the 
at Sergeant Ken R and SBC Rodney T and P- PFC Tim A, you would have thought they all saw a ghost. All three had their forty fives out, cocked, locked, and ready to rock. <laughs> That's what she said. <laughs> Again, not to me. All were visibly shaken. Myself and SBC Sean N got up and asked, "What the hell was that?" The only answer we got was another howl scream that was about 50 feet to our east, at which time Ken R. started dousing the fire from a five-gallon water can and then told us to spread out online. He told us to keep our flashlights off until he told us and then told us to move out to the wreckage, keeping online. His words were, quote, if these locals want to fuck with the Army, then let's give them what they want. At this point, <laughs> you don't fuck with the Army. <laughs> now, I don't think it's locals, bub. Yeah, maybe not. At this point, we started to move out, and I could hear metal being pulled, thrown, and moved around all around the crash site. I kept looking for a light down there as I was moving. About 30 feet away, Sergeant Ken R. turned on his mag light, and what I saw scared the shit out of me. Three creatures were there among the wreckage, and they were not bears. The closest one, about 10 feet away, was holding a piece of metal from the helicopter and stood on two legs. He was at least seven and a half feet tall, covered in hair except for the face, which looked like a chimp, and the one behind him, 15 feet further away, was dragging part of the pilot's body from the wreckage. He or she was larger than the first one. However, it stooped while dragging the body. My estimate was over 8 feet tall with the same facial features. I only saw the third one briefly, about 40 feet away, as it was fleeing. There have been two movements, a physical movement and a bowel movement. Oh, yeah, no doubt. SPC Rodney T. was the first one to fire after dropping the only flashlight, which sent everyone into dot, quote, unquote, Dodge City mode. <laughs> and there I was, blasting. <laughs> they just, boom, started blasting until they were done with the, we just, they blasted until they click, couldn't click, blast click. no more. <laughs> after Sergeant Ken R. got everyone to stop shooting and got us calmed down, we reloaded a fresh clip and circled the wagon, so to speak. This all lasted about 20 minutes from start to finish. However, we stayed locked and loaded till sunrise and did not move from our 360 at the wreckage. Around 6, it started getting light, so we moved out to see if, if we killed one of the creatures or could at least get a blood trail. We found no creature bodies or blood trails. The crash investigators arrived at 8 a.m., and we said nothing to them, and we left and returned to Fort McPherson. When I think about that night, I really get the quote-unquote willies about what I saw, and as I said earlier, some of the guys with me absolutely refused to talk about it. Honestly, I think that these creatures meant us no harm. They were only scavenging. I think they may have smelled the burned bodies in the same way you can smell someone barbecuing. No, 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 no. (laughs) They sensed a free meal even though we were 50 feet away and they were really willing to take that risk. Hell no. Now let me explain something. Is as far as the BFRO report goes, they claim this has been debunked and they use that they have completely debunked this story simply because one person sent an email that said, hey, this didn't happen. So if you're in the military and you have military men getting devoured by unknown creatures, 
that is just ripe for something you'd want to cover up, don't you think? Uh, yeah, and if you don't think it's covered up, look into the Mount St. Helens, what they say is a massacre due to the eruption. It's so convoluted. I've thought about doing an episode on it, but there's so many different stories. It's kind of like, which, I mean, we did this one, which, I mean, now we could do Mount St. Helens. But, you know, it's rumored there that they are, spoiler alert, they actually can communicate with one of them. And one is basically taking a scientist around, pointing out where there should have been Sasquatch families and they find bodies. But no, you. here's the thing. Just like the giant of Kandahar, you think the Army's going to come out and say, hey, we had six guys go all Dodge City one night and start blasting in the dark because they thought they saw three big feet? Yeah, it's kind of hard to that's buy not a, into. That's not a PR that you want. It, no, I mean, it is a very convoluted story, and it could very easily be bullshit. Bullshit, but A, why would someone make this up? And B, they're going to put stake their reputation on it. Yeah, on the BFR. And I promise you, I lived in Dahlonega for four years, three and a half. Let's call it three and a half. I got to know a lot of locals because I hated, I didn't really hang out with, you know, the typical college crowd. I spent a lot of time in bars at times that most college kids weren't there, you know, when they were like in class and stuff. (laughs) (laughs) And being interested in the things I'm interested in, of course, you're going to talk to people about these things. And let's just say it's widely known around there. And people would tell you that, yes, it happened. And they covered it up. It's not just, what I'm trying to say is it's not just a story that this person told that reported to the BFRO made up. Right. And I had- it, is a, it is a widely known story in that town. I had and read where the David K gentleman was interviewed by Matt Moneymaker and he was still stationed in Korea when he did an interview. So, I mean, there, that leads a little bit of credibility to it. If he's willing to talk to a BFRO guy and he's still in the yeah, army, when you're still active military. Yeah. They frown upon stuff like that. I mean, it's probably not enough to get discharged, but lying to a, well, I mean, I guess you could call him a journalist, but lying to a journalist, making up a complete batshit crazy story would probably get you reprimanded in some way. Yeah. One of the first episodes of the Finding Bigfoot series was up there. Showed a Bigfoot crossing in Georgia where a they show a Sasquatch crossing the road and it gets videoed by a police officer's dash cam. Interesting story. The where that Sasquatch crossed was my drive to work every day. It was about a mile from the place I worked. Damn. Yes. Well, and then... I crossed that curve every single solitary day, and I knew exactly what had happened there, and I had my eyes peeled every time. But damn it, <laughs> I didn't see it. nothing. Well, another of the naysayers said that they had... How would they explain the missing rounds? And basically, the forum that I read said that they had taken their own rounds up there because they knew they were going to have to pull bullshit duty and they were going to do some target practice. So the missing rounds isn't really that big of a deal. Yeah. I don't think the guy's lying. I I mean, like you said, it was corroborated, I think I read somewhere by, they actually got in touch with one of the other, actually the Carl J, which I think, what did you say? Was he there or is he someone else? No, he was not there. 
but it, the story was relayed to him, and he was a ranger instructor, so he had heard the story as well. And then they want to say, well, how the hell can six men or five men not hit anything at close range? Did y'all ever watch the gunfight at the OK Corral? They were what? No, I wasn't there. and They didn't have videos back then. They got pictures. Now, recreation I might have saw. They say that that, not what we have seen in the movies, but they said that actually where that took place, there was only like six or seven feet between them. And I want to say they only killed, what, two Clantons? I believe it was, yeah, I think so, if I remember Tombstone correctly. You're not even aiming at that point. You're just squeezing off rounds. You couldn't even tell them where the gun was pointed. So that, ladies and gentlemen, wraps up the dark side of the Sasquatch. No? No, it doesn't. We got time for another. Oh, I didn't know you had another in your back pocket. Look at you just whooping it out. I done sent it to you earlier, man. I just saw this and. Hold on, I'm going to have to look now and see if you use the line Son to me. of a gun. You don't know about Albert Ostman? Ostman? I thought that was another case. I never clicked on it. I do apologize, Coach. Oh, my God, bro. All right, do you want me to read what this or you want to stumble through it? <laughs> <laughs> well, since you... <laughs> uh, all right, okay, okay. I'll give you that one. Well, I'll stumble through it since I was the only one that looked into it. And it's not very long. We could we could stretch it out, but I'll just give you the short and curlies of it, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, the real curly ones. So, near the Toba Inlet in British Columbia in 1924, Albert Ostman, who was a lumberjack by trade, went on vacation in that area. He had heard stories about the quote-unquote man-beasts who supposedly roamed these woods but refused to believe them. However, as Osman lay asleep one evening, a Sasquatch purportedly picked him up and carried him off while he was in his sleeping bag. Osman was carried in his sleeping bag across the country for three hours by the Sasquatch. The Sasquatch dropped Osman down on a plateau, and then when he climbed out of his sleeping bag, he saw standing around him was a family of four Sam Squatches. Albert was kept captive by the Sasquatch family. The captors were two adults and two children, which held Osman captive for six whole days. Now, I'd have run out of poopy. My butthole would have fallen off. <laughs> the, the main Bigfoot was reported to be as big as eight feet tall. Osman, who was armed at the time, reported that he did not use his gun because he assumed that they meant him no harm. But they were keeping him against his will. And there I was, blasting. <laughs> well, then again, it doesn't, I, where I'm looking at doesn't say what type of gun he had, how many rounds he had. And, I mean, you've got an eight-foot monster, essentially, staring down at you. And if anyone has looked into this subject, there are numerous cases out there where hunters have seen Sasquatch, and they say that they have pulled up and looked through a scope at them, and the reason they've not pulled the trigger, most of them say, is because it looks too human, and they just could not do it. He stayed with the Bigfoot family, like I said, for six days, and he can he maintained... Uh, well, I guess he sustained himself on sweet, quote-unquote, sweet-tasting grass that they had given him. According to Osman, the female Sasquatch washed and stacked leaves, 
and after six days, he finally escaped by making the large Sasquatch, male Sasquatch groggy by feeding him some sniff. Made him groggy? I've ne- like the, When I was a kid, and it, I guarantee you this is that fine powder snuff, too. I don't think it makes you groggy. I think it makes you green. Yeah, I've, I've, I've never dipped snuff, but I had, you know, some old-fashioned Copenhagen one time when I was a freshman in high school, and I don't think I've ever thrown up harder than I did that day. Projectile vomiting. Oh, it was awful. I mean, awful. But anyway, according to him... He fed him some sniffy snuff, and he got a little groggy, and then he made his escape. And he is not going to tell a damn soul. For how long? 24 years. He's going to keep this a secret. He claims that he, he, he did not tell anybody for fear of being thought of as crazy. But I guess, you know, after 24 years, you're getting older, you just say, fuck it, man. Let them think I'm crazy. But he decided to come out as more and more Sasquatch stories appeared in the press. He decided in 1957 to tell his story to the local newspaper known as The Province. But of course, he's going to have some skeptics. In 2007, skeptic Joe Nickel characterized the story as, quote, more likely the result of imagination than of recollection, end quote. Critics of Osman note that he did not make the event public until 1957. Uh, when according to this, it's 33 years after he said it took place. Primatologist John Napier states that, quote, Osman's story fails to convince me primarily on the grounds of the limited food resources available, end quote. Bigfoot researcher Peter Byrne cannot accept Osman's story without more evidence. So that's why we did the short and curly version of that one, is because he's pretty much not believed. But what if, man? That's some scary stuff, dude. If I mean, if we have... Well, here's you know, thing. it's one thing to have an eight-foot herbivore roaming the woods that avoids humans at all costs. Right. And it's here's, quite different having a family stalk you and try to break into your cabin, carry your burned carcasses off into the night to feast upon, and then kidnap you for seemingly no damn reason. Well, and I've talked to this with our listener Richard and his wife out in Arkansas before, and he had a great point. He said that there's no way, and he kind of characterized it as when the ivory-billed woodpecker was rumored to have been seen in one of those wildlife refuges out there. He said, imagine how many square miles would have to be basically quarantined to make sure that that one pair of ivory-billed woodpeckers would produce. He said, now think about the state of Arkansas will contract out old stands of timber at different WMAs, and they get that money. And that's all over the state. So that's millions and millions of dollars. Think about how many, if you, if they came out tomorrow and said that there was a Bigfoot in Hanaby, Oklahoma, that whole area, which I know it's out in the middle of nowhere now, but that whole area would be cordoned off. And there's, like the people said, there's plentiful deer, hogs, bears, and we all know that believe in this, that they are herbivores or omnivores, and they eat tubular plants and grasses and things like that. So I don't buy into the 
the thinking that, well, that's just not enough food to sustain a population. Horseshit. Well, it's clearly enough food to sustain a population of bears. Right. Sustain a population of moose. And that's uh, my thing. Elk, uh, freaking honey badgers and kangaroos and shit. <laughs> You're right. I mean, there's millions of animals sustaining themselves today. What's to think that a small group of this type of animal couldn't sustain itself. That doesn't make any sense to me. And the other thing is it's come to the forefront that they use these mountain ranges as travel corridors and they kind of migrate with game. So I don't see where that argument holds water that there's just not enough food out there for them to sustain life. I don't buy it. Yeah. I'd rather you just be like, you're a dumbass. They just don't exist, period, yeah. rather than trying to say, well, they can't exist because there's not enough food. Bullshit. Right. You're talking about an apex predator that would be above moose and bear and things like that. So, Especially if they're omnivores. If they, you know, if they eat anything they can find, bear, berries, uh, plants, small game, big game, scavenge for food, scavenge, you know, carcasses or whatever. If they're equal opportunity, there's plenty. Yeah, you're right. I mean, there's, it's a mute point, I believe, when you try to say that it, there's just not enough food out there. So, Yeah, I don't buy that. I, I would, I could easily, even though I truly believe, you can convince me just, well, it's impossible, they just don't exist, period. They never have, they never will, rather than, well, there's just not enough food. Couldn't do it. Bullshit. Yeah. Fuck off. No, I don't. That's that's just not a very sound argument. So not at all. Let us know what you think about this dark side of Sasquatch. I have quite enjoyed it. If you do have stories or you know of other tales that we did not find about the darker side, let us know. We will revisit this topic and tell your tales. So what is this? We have a Sasquatch as our logo, and we've done, what, maybe three Sasquatch stories? <laughs> well, this might be number four. We did the Sierra, We did the one on Bigfoot, We did, which covered the Sierra Sounds, and then we did uh, we did the Minnesota Iceman. That's true. I forgot about the Iceman. And we did, uh, there's, there's got to be another one in there. Didn't we do, like, Skunk Ape or some shit? No, we've not done the Skunk Ape. We've talked about doing the Skunk Ape, but we've never done it. That may be. We got into we got into murders pretty heavy and missing folks. (laughs) So let us know if you like this, and uh, if there's any other cryptids you'd like for us to cover, and maybe hit you with a three play, triple play cryptid. But yes, do like those. Do let us know if you have heard stories, um, and we will just you know we'll hit this thing again. But coach, uh, you got any other recommendations besides not hanging around three year olds? Getting sick. Oh, man. They got no boundaries when it comes to germs, man. But I love them, dude. Special needs three-year-olds, this is the greatest job ever, man. Seriously. They are the sweetest kids. Oh, yeah. But like I said, no concept of germs. So if I sound different or stuffy, <laughs> that would be why. But anyway, I'm going to recommend a YouTube page called Huang. W-H-A-N-G. Huang. And he covers a whole lot of internet mysteries, which are pretty fascinating. If you're going to look into him, I recommend his 
I believe it's, I know it's at least three parts, maybe a fourth part now, on the most mysterious song on the internet. Very captivating. I think I've seen part of that one. Yeah, it's like some somebody somewhere recorded a German radio show. That's right. Yeah, and they recorded this song, and nobody could find out who made it, when it was written. They don't even know what it's called. And the internet has gone crazy over it. They, I mean, they've really done their due diligence. Reddit can solve almost any mystery you throw at them, but they can't solve this one. So check that out if you're going to look into anything he's done. I am going to recommend a product, and no, we are not sponsored by them, but I have sent out emails trying to get sponsored by them. And Is this Adam and Eve? No, it was close. Man, I'm telling you, I need if it's Adam and Eve, I got some stuff I need to order. I could use a discount code. Y'all were killing me this morning. I'm over there trying to I'm over there trying to damn uh teach algebra support. I'm trying to teach these kids how to do domain and range and my phone keeps dinging. No, and you and old Scroggins are over there talking about everything under the sun. I mean, I got tears dude, in my eyes. I'm having to cut no, my camera off. What, what happened was is one of our dear friends, a guy I used to live with, roommate, sent Arlo and I a message on Facebook and said Something about our sponsorship with Adam and Eve. And I was like, well, son of a bitch. He, Arlo, don't tell me when we do sponsorships. I just find out when I listen to the episode. I got all excited because, hell, I had stuff in my checkout basket. I was like, if there's a discount code, I'll go ahead and order that shit. <laughs> that may have been the funniest part was the fact that you you were like, well, that son of a bitch didn't tell me I could save 15%. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just crazy how that actually happened because I'm not like legitimately – not not bullshitting at all. There's stuff sitting in my checkout basket that I'm like, hmm, maybe I do need that. Uh, if I get 20% off, I'm getting it. <laughs> I'm going to pull the trigger and get that. Well, the product that I was going to recommend. Get that fake flashlight that they've renamed something. In. Similar. Okay. <laughs> Is an energy and performance product called FitAid. They have an energy blend. They also have a vitamin C blend. They are keto-friendly, and they have Go Powder packets. Why so, are you giving this product free advertisement if we're not sponsored by them? Because I'm trying to get a sponsor, and maybe the, somebody that likes them or works for them will hear this and help us out. But anyway, I'll allow. Carry Life, on, sir. It is at lifeaidbevco.com. They have, I have ordered their sample packet, and I have tried all of them. And unlike the other products that we have tried in the past, they are not so tart. They make your eyes water. They are actually very tasty. There is one that tastes like an IPA, and I like cannot Ooh. get. Yeah, I cannot get another. I'm interested. I'm going to order another sample pack, and when I do, I'm going to send you that one because you get. Does it got the booze in it? No, it's got the energy in it though. Oh. Uh. Well, man, I mean, I like this idea that we just start giving free advertisement and hope that they'll pick up on it and actually advertise. So I've got another recommendation. Amazon. If you need anything from the Internet, whether it be, you know, a new Chester drawer all the way to obscure Japanese ramen, or a please casket. look out. Or what? You can order your own casket off Amazon and Walmart. Oh. Yeah, or and you can also buy a fifty. I don't know why you need this much, 
but you can buy a 55 gallon drum of lube. So, you know, wherever your Saturday night takes you, Amazon.com. That's right. <laughs> Tell them Arlo and the coach sent you. <laughs> oh, man. Well, sir, I have enjoyed Come on, myself. Bezos. That's right, Bezos. Give Come us a on, 20% Bezos. Give discount. us a little bit of that money. Break us off some now. I have thoroughly enjoyed this, my brother. I have laughed way too much tonight. So, you got anything else? Well, it was just nice, even though we talked about, you know, carcasses being dragged off into the forest and consumed for sustenance. This was a more lighthearted episode than we've done in a while. So. Yes, we needed this one after that last episode. So, I hope you all enjoy it. Yeah, when you've, got, when you've got carcasses being dragged off and consumed and it's, a lighthearted episode that says a lot about the material we cover in this thing. So, and anytime you can go bang, 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 and there I was blasting away with nothing to fear. I mean, you gotta, you gotta look. Yeah. Well, Fuck it. it was them or me, and I chose <laughs> that it was gonna be them. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, y'all have a lovely evening and deuces. <laughs>